All right. Well, hey, good morning, Calvary Church. It is good to be here with all of you. My name is Eric Wakeling, one of the pastors here at Calvary. And we are continuing that uh, whole series on common ground. And I think it's been good. We've had some good conversations, some hard conversations. And we're continuing that today as we get into this whole topic of wealth, poverty, and social justice. And we'll, we'll, we'll see how we go through this. Now, this is where you have this, this whole thing in the world today, even obviously is this whole series that with all of the things that we're talking about and in politics and in the world, and you've got how do we help those who are poor? What's the role of government in that? What's the role of the church? How do we figure out like the systems that we should be using or shouldn't be using? And there can be a lot of discussion on that. So we want to find common ground in, in what that looks like. And one uh, picture and one image that, that I thought about as we were starting off with this is, uh, this is a picture of uh, MacArthur Park in Los Angeles. Now, I don't know if you know, uh, our middle school and, and high school ministries have over the years, they take kids up to inner city Los Angeles and do these amazing mission trips uh, serving the people, homeless people, poor, others, uh, marginalized uh, people in uh, Los Angeles. And it's been a great way for them to be able to do that. Now, one thing that these kids do, you know, with adults with them, uh, these middle schoolers even, will grab some pan dulce, these Mexican pastries, and take them into MacArthur Park and to go have a conversation, uh, give the, the pastries to a homeless person, but not just give it to them, but sit and have a conversation with them. And it's a really, it's just an amazing thing to see these sorts of conversations these kids have. This, this park is beautiful as even it kind of looks there with, you know, with the skyline of L.A. in the background. It is full of crime and homelessness, just like literally hundreds of homeless people even sleeping in this park at times. And it's just a, a difficult thing. But one thing they point out to you on this trip, and they've been pointing out for about 25 years since the first time I went on this trip, was that right across the street from this park, there's a building. And it's actually the perspective, I think this picture is even possibly taken from the rooftop of this building. And so there's this building across the street that is empty. And it has hundreds of rooms in this building that is empty. And then you've got a park across the street with hundreds of people sleeping in this park. And it's just this image where this building even has etched on it the golden rule with Luke 6, treat others the way that you would want them to treat you. And you have this empty building full of rooms next to a park full of people sleeping on the ground. You know, and it just feels like it's a symbol of the brokenness of our world and our systems, right? Where you just, it seems like it should be need, you know, ability to meet need connect, but it's difficult. And we know that things are more complicated than just having people go in there. And, and we have similar issues in our city. But for us to consider these, you know, that is just a, an image of, of what we're talking about as we talk about wealth, poverty, and social justice. Now, within wealth, I want us also to recognize that we are all rich. You might not feel like it, but there is, uh, and you know, I don't know, there could be a few of you that have come off, uh, you know, from wherever, wherever you're at in this room today that might want to argue with that. But when you think globally, there's something called the global rich list. It, is, it puts you, based on your income, uh, of how rich you are in the world. If you make $15,000 a year as an individual, you are in the top 8% of the richest people in the world. Now, the per capita income in uh, Orange County is $34,000. If you make $33,000 a year, you are a one percenter. 
<laughs> okay? You are in the top 1% of the richest people in the entire world if you make $33,000 or more. That's kind of, like, that should be staggering at some level, right? That, that, I want you to have a sense of where we're at here, where there's great need. However, uh, many of us, many of us are rich, even if we don't feel that way. And Jesus, Jesus had this approach where he brought conviction and challenge to those who are rich, and he brought care for those who are poor. Now, that doesn't mean he never cared for the rich, that we should never care for the rich, and that doesn't mean that there shouldn't be challenge or conviction for the poor. But we see this sort of model of Jesus caring for those and nurturing those who are poor and bringing challenge and conviction for those who are rich and those who are powerful. And so we bring some of that today as well. As we look at uh, Micah 6, 8, and encourage you, grab your bulletins if you haven't yet. There's this notes page inside there. We're going to look at some uh, passages of Scripture uh, up here, but there's tons more on this sheet that you can look into and a lot of good information on here as well for you. So I encourage you to look at that, but we are looking at Micah 6, 8 here, this classic verse. It's got a, a great song that I think we're going to even sing later in the service, but it says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And so that's what we're going through today. To do justice, to love kindness, or often it's translated to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And so our first point then here is a sense of conviction for the rich to walk humbly. Okay, we should have an approach of humility. If you are one of, you know, if you are one of these, uh, you know, 8% of the richest people in the entire world that make 15K or above, all right? We have this sense that we need to have of humility when we think of these issues. When we have this call to serve and to help those who are in need or we consider what should we do in our society about all of this that we should approach it with an attitude of humility. Um, now, some things when it comes to wealth. First of all, hard work and wise choices are rewarded as we look into the scriptures. Proverbs 20, verse 4. The sluggard does not plow after the autumn, so he begs during the harvest and has nothing. Okay, there is a sense of, of hard work is rewarded here. Proverbs 24, 33. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then your poverty will come as a robber and your want like an armed man. That we, uh, we shouldn't look down upon those who work hard. That it is not wrong to have wealth, but there's some challenge that comes for those that have wealth. And because of this is a big part of it. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. As it says in a couple parts of scripture, but we look at 1 Timothy 6. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So we have to be cautious. We have to be careful about our desire to be rich, our desire to have money. Is, if it's not money that's the root of all evil or of all sorts of evil. It's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. So that's a, a, a caution and a challenge to those of us with money. And we see throughout the scriptures as well, it speaks of usury and inflated interest. 
I was wondering how usury gets translated by sign language over here. I'm not sure if that's an easy one or not. But I just also thought we could point them out and just give a hand to our amazing people uh, who help out uh, there. And, you know, even as, as you think about this, to, you know, if that's an area of service, it's an amazing area of service that we would want you, if you have skills or talents in that area, to even check out and to tell others that we have some amazing folks who are signing here and expressing the Word of God in all languages, right? So it's great. Um, now, so usury and inflated interest is considered unfair in the Bible. Leviticus 25 and many other places says, Now, in case a countryman of yours becomes poor— and his means with regard to you falter, then you are to sustain him like a stranger or a sojourner that he may live with you. Do not take usurious interest from him, but revere your God that your countrymen may live with you. You shall not give him your silver at interest nor your food for gain. All right, so we see some of these principles of how we should be, you know, not trying to, when someone's poor, to take advantage of their poverty for our own gain. And so we want to be careful of those things. And then uh, finally, in this, this aspect of conviction for the rich, is that uh, integrity matters more than the accumulation of wealth. That our hearts, our integrity matters more. Here in Proverbs 22, a good name is to be desired more than great wealth. Favor more than silver or gold. That we are to care about how we live, how we act, how we treat others around us. Our good name more than just our worldly successes. So we consider these things. When we consider our lives, how do we live? How do we act? Who do we look to that we want to be people that would walk humbly when it comes to our wealth, when it comes to the things that we've been blessed with? And then we transition to caring for those who are in need, caring for those who are poor, to love kindness, to love mercy, to love these things. Because when it comes to wealth, if we just love wealth, it's, it's that whole question of how much is enough, you know? And what's the, you know, the typical answer? Just a little bit more, right? How much is enough? Just a little bit more. And that can be our, you know, how we think. But we have to, instead of loving money, we love mercy. We love kindness. And we have an attitude of caring for those who are in need. And, and this permeates not just how we act, but also how we just, how we talk and how we treat people. That we have a sense of loving kindness and loving mercy. And it's pretty cool to see the way in some of the verses we've looked at already of how like the Old Testament sets up this structure of, of caring for the poor and loving those who are in need of, of relieving debt. You know, this year of Jubilee and these seven years, there's a remission of debt. It's pretty incredible to look at the systems that God had established in the Old Testament. Uh, and then we look here and we consider loving kindness or caring for the poor. Uh, Jesus says this in Matthew 26 when... Uh, this is when the woman is using that expensive perfume to anoint Jesus, right? And she's washing his feet and people are starting to get mad. Like, wait, you're wasting that expensive perfume. We could have used that money to care for the poor. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you bother the woman? For she has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Now he's establishing the, the worship of Jesus Christ as the primary thing, right? That we should love Christ, the name of Christ should be primary. But what happens with this verse is actually a lot of people take this verse and say, well, you always have the poor, 
so we shouldn't really, we don't really need to care that much. We're never going to be able to solve it because we'll always have the poor with us. So let's just focus on other things, right? Now, uh, the thing is, is it's good to look back sometimes. So Jesus says this in Matthew 26. However, he most likely, I would think, has the Torah in mind as you have in Deuteronomy 15.11. It says this, For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, You shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy and poor in your land. So yes, you will always have the poor with you in your land. But I want you to have an open hand towards them, to care for those who are in need. That's our biblical mandate. That's our biblical challenge is that we are to walk humbly and we are to love mercy and kindness and care for the poor. And then we do justice. We do justice. And we're going to talk through some of the scriptural foundation of this, but I also want us to think through some of this as closing the gaps of social services when we consider this whole thing of this balance between what does government do and what is the role of the church that we're going to continue to talk through a bit. But a couple passages here first. Isaiah 117. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. That's our biblical call, right? That we would not just uh, think about justice or not just even, uh, you know, like just do a little, but it's that we would defend those who are in need, that we would plead for those who are widowed. And we don't just allow ruthless people to go against them, but we reprove them, we call them out, and we help those who are in need. That is seeking justice. Really, seeking justice, I think the best definition of it is to love our neighbor in the way that Jesus has commanded us to, is to love your neighbor. Uh, But also Luke 11, one more on this, 42. And this is Jesus speaking to those in power, right? He says, But woe to you Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. So they want to come in and give their tithes and look good. And, you know, they, they did that very publicly in the sense of, look at all that I'm bringing. I'm, I'm so good, right? Like, look at me. But then they didn't love, love the love of God and justice was not on their hearts. They didn't care about those things. And he says, look, you should give. Don't, don't neglect that. However, you need to say that justice is more important to you. And now, you know, sometimes, um, you know, over the course of the, this last, I don't know what, 50 100 years or so, that you've seen some have defined justice as social justice or a, a social gospel, that it would be the meeting of physical needs is all that matters. And I just say, like, look, don't throw out God's command to do justice because some have interpreted it poorly, right? That we are called to bring aid to those who are in physical need, but we aren't bound to only do that. We can also bring them aid in their spiritual need. We can meet temporal needs And we can meet eternal needs. We come for both. And we want to do both of those things for people. And we have to consider then, like, okay, what is this whole balance when we think about our role as the church in caring for the poor? 
We think about the role of government in serving the poor and what government's already doing. And many of us might not like some of the systems that government uses, but the church isn't necessarily meeting the needs enough just alone and by ourselves. And so maybe there's even systems that we think are abusive or people who are abusing systems, and we have problems with that. But I would just think that, okay, we have people that need these services, and they probably need even more than that. We, yes, we have people that are, that are abusing services, and maybe these, these systems aren't solving all of the issues of poverty. But I think that the Lord cares that we do this well. And I think the Lord cares about our hearts in this, and that we are walking humbly in this. We are loving mercy and kindness and have a heart of compassion when it comes to this, this whole issue. And I think that it would probably be a good thing if the church wasn't known as the biggest opponent of people trying to help the poor. You know? That there's this whole thing where maybe we think they're doing it wrong, but where the church is the biggest opponent of government uh, services coming in to help the poor, and then people think about the church as people that don't like that, it just starts to get a little bit like the wrong impression upon the world. And so we have to consider how that comes into it without entering into abusive systems. And so all this, though, gets... A little bit, you know, confusing and muddy and, and we're probably not going to solve all of it today. But I did think, you know, we have a friend uh, of ours, a friend of, of Calvary, um, uh, who I want to invite up here that I think can really help us with some of this, of understanding the roles of the church and government in serving the poor. So let's welcome up David Benavides right now, please. Hey, David. Good to- Thanks for being here. Morning, Appreciate it. Yeah. So... David, if you don't know this, he's a graduate of Biola University, which is very loved here at Calvary Church. And he's also the executive director of KidWorks, which is this nonprofit ministry that partners with churches and serving kids in Santa Ana, right down in the heart of Santa Ana. And he's also a member of the city council of the city of Santa Ana. So who better when you think of talking about what the role of government, the role of the church, and serving those in need— He's living it. He's really living it. And I think that's pretty amazing. And so what I'd love first, though, if you could, David, is just to share with us a bit of your story and, you know, kind of how, how you got to this point today. Well, yeah. First of all, thank you yeah. uh, for, for having me uh, here. It's, it's wonderful to be here at uh, Calvary Church. As you mentioned, uh, Calvary Church has been a longtime partner with KidWorks, a ministry that I uh, get to, to lead. And uh, it's also somewhat of a, of a reunion in, in that, you know, Biola is very much uh, present here with uh, several pastors and staff and your own pastor, you know, Dave Mitchell on the Board of Trustees. Uh, I'd like to connect with you a little bit later about how I can get my uh, Biola college loans uh, forgiven. So let's, let's chat uh, Every about, seven years, right? The about that, right? Yeah. Isn't that um, you know, it's, it's, it's somewhat surreal for me to be in the roles that I currently uh, hold, uh, uh, both as executive director of, of this ministry, but also in the role of, of government and as an elected official. I, I ran for senior class president in high school and, and didn't make it, so I figured politics, and, and it was, just wasn't for me. I wasn't going to be able to, to, to be, uh, be elected to, to, to a post. But uh, the, the, the role of serving a community uh, actually for me goes way back. I see a lot of, of parents and, and, and uh, you know, moms and dads and, and, and grandparents and grandma and grandma and aunts and uncles in the room. Uh, and we all have an influence uh, over folks and have an impact. And for me, my dad was a significant influence and impact uh, for me. Uh, he didn't grow up in the States. He grew up in Mexico uh, in a very small uh, town outside of Mexico City. And, and uh, 
uh, actually got to fifth grade in school uh, before he started working to help uh, make ends meet. Uh, my grandfather and family uh, ended up working in the silver mines and uh, a very uh, dangerous and not, very, uh, not much of a future for, for him and the family. So when he uh, became a young adult, uh, he realized that you know, there, there is work uh, in up north in the United States. There's an opportunity to be able to go in whatever work that there might be an op opportunity to do there. It would be a much better situation than what he had back home. So he, he ventured to come up here to the U.S. and came up to uh, downtown Los Angeles and started working washing dishes. Uh, very hard work with my dad and, and he came from a very strong Christian family. My, my grandmother from a my dad was a young age. I ended up going to, to a small uh, Pentecostal church where she had uh, become ill. Some of her neighbors said, you know, go to that, to that church. They pray for people, and people get healed there. Mm -hmm. So she went, and, and she stayed there at, at the church. And, and my dad then grew up with that strong faith, and he connected with a church out here in, in L.A. When he came up here, uh, he didn't come with legal documents. Uh, so he was actually coming home from church uh, one evening. I was picked up by the police. At the time, police was involved in, in immigration uh, and he was uh, carted back, sent back to the United States, uh, to, to Mexico. And that happened a couple of times until eventually a family from the church that he had plugged in to, uh, with helped him uh, figure out his uh, the documents and paperwork. It was much easier to be able to acquire uh, residency documents back then. And so he ended up coming back and raising us as a family here. Again, my dad got to fifth grade. I'm one of uh, seven kids, a fourth of seven. seven. Uh, grew up uh, in East Los Angeles. And my senior year in high school, I heard about... Uh, Christian colleges, and I heard about Biola University. I went out, had the opportunity to apply what was uh, accepted to Biola and uh, received a scholarship there and still have some loans that I'm uh, paying off many years later. But I, I heard about this ministry uh, while I was at Biola uh, called KidWorks, and at the time it was a very small summer program. The idea was college students were challenged to spend their summers living in some of the more challenging neighborhoods in Orange County, and we have them here in Orange County. We're, we're very blessed to live in this county, but there are pockets of neighborhoods where there are very densely uh, populated and impacted. Two and three families living in a one, maybe a two-bedroom apartment if they're lucky. Gangs are very much real part of, of everyday life. Uh, um, drugs are, are, are blatantly out there, uh, part of the open market, and we have kids that are growing up with this. When somebody has an opportunity to move out of a neighborhood like that, they do. That was kind of my story when I, I thought growing up in East L.A., my, my going to school, going to college is going to be my ticket out. Mm -hmm. um, years later, I got connected with KidWorks, went in for what I thought was going to be an eight-week program. I figured I can go and serve kids, mentor kids for eight weeks. Um, those eight weeks have, been, have turned into 20 years now. I'm still there in that neighborhood. <laughs> it's the longest internship I've ever heard of. <laughs> uh, somehow, my, you know, so there, I remember bringing my mom to, to visit this community. I still live in the neighborhood uh, off of uh, Townsend Street here. They don't block of Townsend Street here in Santa Ana, not too far from here. My mom's thinking... Wait, you went to college, you're the one that's supposed to make it, and you came and this is where, where, where you call home. But it was actually her and my dad's uh, values of giving back and that faith commitment, that, that, that our Christian faith is one where we're supposed to live it out on, on a daily basis. After having been involved in KidWorks for a number of years, uh, serving in, in, in some very challenging neighborhoods here in town, uh, our councilwoman for our district was trimmed out and some folks mentioned, you know, you, you've uh, been working in the community for a long time. Why don't you think about running for office? And remember that senior class, you know, of running for <laughs> office? I thought, you know, that's not going to happen. But I thought, you know, if, if folks, if things are going to change in our communities, people need to stick around and be a part of that change. And, and people that are at City Hall making decisions, policy decisions, and, and budget decisions, uh, 
you know, if, if there was somebody there who understood the plight of kids and families growing up in very difficult situations here in our own hometown, that would be a good thing. So I decided to run for office, was elected uh, in 2006, uh, and I'm currently serving uh, in my uh, third term. I'm, I'm two years into my, my third term. Uh, so that, that's sort of the, the, the story of how I uh, was able to uh, be where I am, both in the, in the role of, of uh, government and city uh, and, and as executive director. And the way I've, I've seen it, uh, I remember my dad always instilling in me uh, that uh, never forget my faith. And wherever it was, at Biola graduation, first my family graduate college and said, son, I'm proud of you, but never forget uh, God. And I, when I was elected and, and we had this uh, celebration, he said, God, son, I'm, son, uh, son I'm, I'm proud of you. Never forget your God. And so for me, uh, that, that my role in government has always been a way to do ministry and serve uh, our community. Wow, that's amazing. Um, I just think it's an incredible story, too, just to hear where God is, has brought you. And, and, and so with all of that experience, right, I think it's a very unique uh, set of life experience as well as working experience. And, well, how do you see this whole thing of this this balancing of what's the role of the church in serving the poor versus the role of government and, and how, do, how do you see us coming together in that or you know, how do you see that working best? That's, that's a really good question, Eric. And, and I've, I've been, one of my reasons for running uh, uh, to run for office was because I thought, you know, if, if, if some of those resources can be directed in, in some of these neighborhoods that I felt were uh, overlooked for so many years and, and kids getting sucked into uh, gang culture and you're growing up in a certain neighborhood and sort of almost expected that you're going to end up getting pulled in and a lot of them do. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, if, if there was, you know, government maybe could do it a little bit different. Maybe the yeah. city was aware. And, but one of the things that I've realized is that there's only so much a government can do. You know, there, there's just some of the basics um, of, of providing, you know, law enforcement, providing parks, providing uh, streets and lighting. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's a life that impacts another life. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a child needs a caring adult. That, that, that parent who's struggling needs that support of somebody else who, who, who will encourage them and love them and support them. And so as, as much, as, as great as uh, our city staff are, whether it's city of Santa Ana or county folks or anywhere else, at the end of the day, it's caring people. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's, it's, that's where I've been able to realize more and more lately as, as a councilman, I'm telling you, we need you. Hmm. The city needs the church. Hmm. Uh, the city needs people of faith to be able to step in to those neighborhoods, to those schools, those community centers, to be the, that, that caring adult that is going to love on, on, on our kids and our community. Hmm. That's where transformation is going to happen. So many uh, uh, needs, uh, but again, government provides a structure of basic services. Mm-hmm. But it, it's, it's really the church and the people of faith. Okay, okay. So that, I mean, that's starting to make more sense to me. Like, what do you, what do you feel like a church, you know, maybe like people like here at Calvary, like just the church in general to help the issues more in general that we see in our city of like maybe homelessness or poverty or these like families that are, that are hurting, immigrant families and all of that. You know, like is there, I guess that's more of a general question, maybe, maybe hard to answer, but how do you see the church helping with that more? Well, there, there's, there's a number of things. Yeah. One is... Um, we have many churches throughout, whether it be the city of Santa Ana or cities throughout the county, throughout the region, uh, where there are amazing facilities such, such as where we're standing here yeah. today, right? Yeah. And we have kids that are walking to and from, you know, school and, and home every day, and they, they walk by, most kids, I would say, at least one church facility. Hmm. And if our churches were to open up the doors and see themselves as an outpost, as a community center, 
mm-hmm. um, how, how different might the, the experience of a child be, mm-hmm. uh, you know, th- th- throughout the city they were able to, to uh, engage and have an, an open door. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that we're blessed with in the city of Santa Ana um, is that we have many caring organizations, nonprofits. Those nonprofits typically are, are, are you have a, a thin staff usually, mm-hmm. but it, it comes down to uh, volunteers, uh, whether it's a volunteer tutor, whether it's a volunteer nurse at, 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 the, at the clinic, whether it's a, a mentor stepping in or somebody going into the, the senior center or, again, homeless uh, uh, serving nonprofits that, that need people to come in and, and maybe we're, we're either we are work for somebody or we have the privilege of being in business for ourselves or we run a business. There, there are jobs that, that, that folks need. Yeah. So being able to provide an, an, a, a job, a position for one, maybe two, two people in, 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 in town as a way of doing ministry to give those people an, an opportunity. There's just, frankly, everybody in, in this room, every one of us um, that's a part and connected to a church, there's a role that we can play mm-hmm. uh, in, in, uh, in stepping in and providing mm-hmm. uh, some of that support to, to a lot of the needs that we, our community faces. That's cool. So now it's just with your KidWorks hat on or shirt on <laughs> um, that you have, right, like with all of that, what specifically do you feel like the people of Calvary Church could do to help KidWorks? And maybe within that, just like a bit of the exact, like the heart and the mission of KidWorks. So, so KidWorks, we started uh, in, again, as a summer program, initially challenging college students to move in for several weeks during the summer. We took an apartment unit. Uh, actually, there were two, uh, an apartment for the gals, an apartment for the guys. Uh, I, I, when I moved in at Townsend Street, there were eight of us, uh, actually seven of us or three guys. It was always harder to get guys. There were four girls uh, part of our team. And we lived there. We just we did Bible clubs. We basically did a VBS dr- during the whole summer. Eventually realized that our kids needed some help academically. If they're really going to thrive, education is a great equalizer. So we took an apartment unit, turned it into an after-school uh, center, after-school tutoring. Um, over the years, we realized, you know, some of our kids, even in kindergarten, were already a bit behind, so we started a preschool program. Um, getting uh, uh, the, the communities are going to change when there are leaders that are raising up out of these neighborhoods. So we, we've been walking through, basically, it's education enrichment and leadership development is, is what KidWorks is about. At this point, we're in four of the more challenging neighborhoods in town. Our main center is a 10,000-square-foot warehouse that we were able to convert. Then we have three satellite centers. So again, a preschool program, after-school programs from kindergarten all the way on up to high school. At this point, we're so excited. The last two years, we were able, in, in a part of town where graduating high school is, is in and of itself, uh, you know, fewer, uh, it's, it's more often than not folks don't make it. Our teens aren't, aren't making it. We're able to get 100% of our high schoolers to graduate, uh, our seniors to graduate on time. 100% to go off to college, university. They're going off to Biola. They're going off to Zeus. They're going off to UCLA, to Georgetown, to Duke. Kids from our toughest neighborhoods here in town. So uh, college and career readiness. And so it's, it's essentially uh, volunteers, either whether it's our preschool if, 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 or whether it's an after-school uh, program coming in and doing a little bit of the tutoring. We promise we won't put you in a class with a calculus. If you're, that's not your, your uh, strength, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, make sure to put you in, in a... Uh, a place where uh, uh, you, you'd feel confident, but it's at the end of the day, it's a caring adult, yeah. um, and and it's it's of all ages, and, and some of the, the the adults that have had the greatest impact on our kids is actually some of our our, our folks that are uh, close to retirement age or retired, because it, it's there, there's just something about that that older individual uh, in the life of a child that, that there's this uh, 
Uh, they, they just look up to them, and it's just a, a significant impact. So th- there's a place for everyone, or whether you're a graphic designer, or whether you're an accountant, or just a, a, a music classes, art classes. There's so many different things that we're able to provide for our kids. That's amazing. So we're just super grateful for what you're doing in our city and in both of your roles, and so just grateful for you. Let's give a hand and thank you to David. Yeah. I'll be in the back of the table. Yeah. Thank you so so yeah, uh, David and KidWorks has, he's going to head back to, he's got a table in the, in the lobby that we'll have available as the service is over. And just, uh, we, we need to respond to this, you know. So when we think about all of these things, that uh, the scriptures say, those who have, with those who have much, much will be required. And that we have much. And from us, much is required. And we need to be able to respond and to respond well to the great needs in our community. And so we want to be a people who don't just speak of it, but people who do something. And, and a lot of times is, you know, we, you have to plan. You have to plan to do it. You don't just think, like, at the end of the month, like, oh, I guess I didn't spend it all, so I'll give some money to the poor. You know, it's no. you got to plan for it. you got to budget to give. You have to lead your time. You have to lead your time to schedule it so that you have time to go serve at KidWorks. Those sorts of things. So I want to challenge us in that. And, you know, there's a lot of great things that are happening, um, like through Calvary Church and through our partner ministries, throughout our city and around the world. The just incredible stories of uh, emergency needs fund giving, helping so many families, and we're so grateful for that. But I want to give some next steps. And I'd love if you've got the, the note sheet to look on the back and just to consider these next steps and to consider what is one thing that you can do. Uh, and, and even just have this, identify one thing you can do to minister to the poor every month. Let's just throw that out there, every month. One thing you can do each month. If you're doing something a little bit already, maybe make that every week. I don't know what that is, but just one thing. Do one thing once a month. I think we can do that. And, and some ideas that you can uh, visit today to find out more specifics. We do have the KidWorks table in the lobby where you can find out more and sign up to serve with them in the heart of our city. You also have a table out there for safe families for children. And this is an amazing ministry when you think about closing the gaps. Safe Families for Children is a ministry that helps people who are in some uh, dire situation in their life. They might be in a situation of homelessness, addiction, other issues. It could be a single mom who's got three kids. I don't know, some sort of situation like that where she so that she does not have to have her kids taken away from her by the government, would have some loving people care for her kids and take her kids in for a short amount of time while she's getting her life together in whatever way that might be. That's an example of something that Safe Families for Children does. They'd help minister to that, that parent as well and come around that family to see like where you know the, the government has to have a service that would take in kids who are being abused, right? Who would take those kids away. Well, let's be the church and let's close the gap and meet the need before it gets to that point. So that's, a, I think, just such a great example. Safe Families for Children has a table in the lobby uh, that you can go find out ways that you can serve an event they have coming up to find out more of what they're doing. We also have a table in the lobby for our Neighbor Good event that you heard uh, spoken of earlier, a way that you can help serve just that event next month. And then uh, also just encourage you to come. We will have the whole Common Ground conversation thing this Wednesday night in Fellowship Hall where David will be there. Karen Bergstrom uh, will be there, who's uh, a member of our church, but also heads up Safe Families Western States uh, of 
edition. <laughs> and then uh, we'll also have Lee Delion, who Lee is uh, the director of uh, Templo Calvario has a community development center. And Templo Calvario is the largest Spanish-speaking church in Santa Ana. And they're great. We're great friends with them. And we're just so excited about what God's been doing through them. And I think uh, we could actually learn a lot from what they're doing. So that's going to be that panel coming up uh, this Wednesday night. I encourage you to come and be a part of that. And so we are going to have this chance now just to, to continue to worship, to respond. I want you just in this time to be able to and just connect your heart with the heart of the Lord in this, right? That we could walk humbly, that we could love kindness, and that we would do justice, that we would be people who do that, who come before the table. What's beautiful about when we, when we receive communion, we're not doing that right now, I'm not saying, but when we do, when we come before the table of Christ, we all come at the same level. It's the great leveler in our society. And this room is the great leveler, that there are people here of, uh, from many different backgrounds and, and many different uh, economic statuses, and that we would come in this room before Christ as one, and that we give to the Lord, we give to Him to help, even not just to give to those causes, but to minister to our hearts, to take the thing that we hold most tightly and rely upon most, you know, self-sufficiently and say, Lord, I give it to you. And that's our heart in that. So as we worship, as we sing before we leave today, I just pray through that, sing through that, and let that be uh, your heart's uh, prayer that you would be changed and molded in that way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love and your care and your care for both the rich and the poor. Lord, Lord, the way you nurture those who are in need and the way that you do bring challenge and conviction for those who have much. And I pray that today we would have a sense of even us being both cared for and convicted, God. I pray that we would respond to this today. I pray that we would not let this day go by as just another message that we don't respond to, Lord. But help us, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, have that conviction to respond today. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.